Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today is study number 8 of Jeremiah chapter 50. And we're going to be reading Jeremiah 50 verses 13 through 16. Because of the wrath of Jehovah, it shall not be inhabited, but it shall be wholly desolate. Everyone that goeth by Babylon shall be astonished and hiss at all her plagues. Put yourselves in array against Babylon round about, all ye that bend the bow. Shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against Jehovah. Shout against her round about. She has given her hand. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down, for it is the vengeance of Jehovah. Take vengeance upon her, as she has done. Do unto her. Cut off the sower from Babylon, and him that handleth the sickle, in the time of harvest, for fear of the oppressing sword. They shall turn everyone to his people. And they shall flee everyone to his own land. And I'll stop reading there. And as you may remember, uh, as we've been going through Jeremiah 50, this is a chapter that primarily is dealing with the judgment of God upon Babylon. And we have seen that God is judging Babylon because... Babylon brought judgment against Judah or Jerusalem. And, of course, that was all God's doing. God raised up King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. He um, uh, permitted them and allowed them to become a great nation, conquering many other nations. And God is the one that used the Babylonians as an instrument of his wrath. He even calls King Nebuchadnezzar my servant. And and God did this because Judah had become unfaithful and it was the time for them to be given up and over into the hands of their enemy. And uh, one uh, major reason that God did do this historically was in order to paint a picture, a spiritual picture, of the final end-time judgment of God against the churches and congregations for exactly the same reason, for their unfaithfulness to the Word of God. Babylon performed its task very well and did an excellent job of destroying Judah. And for a period of 70 years... God brought Judah low, and he raised up Babylon over them. And the king of Babylon, from Nebuchadnezzar to his sons, they, they were high and lofty and, and were great kings during that period of time. But at the end of the 70 years, God determined to turn around and to hold Babylon accountable for its actions. Yes, God um, permitted them to do this, and, and it was within God's plan for Babylon to do this in destroying Judah, to take her captive. Yet, still, all God did was remove his hand of restraint from the Babylonians, and they went about doing these things um, out of their own sinful minds and desires. And and so God could justly and rightly, at the end of the 70-year period, hold Babylon accountable and make them responsible for their actions and, and in turn judge them. And that's what we read here and in many places in the Bible. As it says here in verse 15, Shout against her round about, she has given her hand, her foundations are fallen, 
Her walls are thrown down, for it is the vengeance of Jehovah. Take vengeance upon her, as she has done do unto her. God is saying, I want vengeance upon Babylon, because she has dared to uh, put forth her hand against my people. And uh, the same kind of language is found in Jeremiah 51, in verse 6, Flee out of the midst of Babylon, and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of Jehovah's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. And then down in verse 11, Make bright the arrows, gather the shields. Jehovah has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes for his devices against Babylon to destroy it, because it is the vengeance of Jehovah, the vengeance of his temple. That's what Babylon did that, that, um, of course, there's no excuse for. When they destroyed Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple of God. They dared to put forth their hand, not only against God's people, which uh, would have been bad enough, but they dared to put forth their hand and destroy God's temple. And that temple was a symbol of the presence of God with his people Israel. And and so as the Babylonians uh, dismantled and took apart and threw down that temple, it, it was an affront. It was um, uh, an attack against God himself. And, and so God will take vengeance. And likewise, when God loosed Satan at the time of the end, as he had been bound for a thousand years, that figurative number representing the church age, and then when the church age ended and and, and the time came for the great tribulation, and God loosed Satan, and Satan went immediately into the congregations and took his seat in the temple as the man of sin, showing himself that he is God. And Satan um, stirred up his emissaries to wreak havoc within the congregations and, and all the churches, the Christian churches, the churches that have the name of Christ. And he destroyed the Christian church. Uh, and the outward uh, corporate body. No, he didn't harm any of God's elect because that's an impossibility. He certainly seeks to harm them and did seek to harm them, but uh, he could not. Yet the destruction of the the body, the 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 church institution, was an assault against the kingdom of God, because the church had been the outward representation of God's kingdom upon earth for almost 2,000 years, and and the destruction of it was certainly a personal attack against God. And, and so God's not going to let Satan and the kingdom of Babylon, which represents the kingdom of this world, the, the emissaries of Satan who are just simply unsaved individuals that dwell in the darkness. God's not going to allow them to get away with it, to uh, get away without uh, making restitution, without any recompense, without any repayment for the things they have done. and And that's what um, Jeremiah 50 and 51 gets into very much detail about it is the wrath of God being poured out in vengeance against those that that God uh, utilized for his own purposes, yet they had no excuse in doing the things they did. Well, here in verse 13 of Jeremiah 50, 
It says, Because of the wrath of Jehovah it shall not be inhabited, but it shall be wholly desolate. And we discussed this in our last Bible study in Jeremiah, and we saw how this um, language, and it's referring to Babylon, that it will not be inhabited, but be wholly desolate, has to do with the person of God, or with the Spirit of God. Now there's two verses that I want to look at before we move on. Jeremiah 51, verse 43, says, Her cities are a desolation, a dry land in a wilderness, a land wherein no man dwelleth, neither doth any son of man pass thereby. And as we discussed in our last study, the the no man is a reference to Christ. Likewise, so too is the reference to the Son of Man. And Babylon is a desolation. It's a dry land, a wilderness, a land wherein no man dwelleth, neither any son of man, neither doth any son of man pass thereby. And, and we mentioned last time how you would think with the first part of the verse that Babylon is desolate, dry, in a wilderness, that The second part of the verse would say a land wherein there is no water, but it doesn't say that. It it says, yes, it's a desolation, a dry land, a wilderness, a land wherein no man dwelleth, neither doth any son of man pass thereby. And it doesn't say water because the Lord Jesus Christ is what the water points to, the uh, when God uses the figure of water to represent the gospel in the Bible, really it points to Christ. And and so here uh, God goes right to the point. Uh, Babylon is desolate. Babylon is a dry land and a wilderness because Jesus Christ does not dwell in it. And uh, in the sense where he is actively working to save sinners, to um, to discover or find his lost sheep, uh, he and all that's over and done with. All that is through. Christ isn't doing that kind of work anymore. He has left Babylon, this world. He has abandoned this world, and. Now the world is a wasteland, a desolation, a dry land without Christ. And one other verse that sums this up, and we did look at it last time, but um, it's an excellent verse for us to remember because it defines what desolate means. When, when God, who uses the word often, uh, is speaking of a desolate land uh, and, and in reference to Judah, which would point to the church, or in reference to Babylon, which would point to the world. Here is exactly what he means. In Jeremiah 6, verse 8, Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. Well, there, there it is. You see, God first warns, um, be instructed, be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from thee. Now, if that happened, if God's soul departed from thee, that would make thee desolate, that would make a land not inhabited. You can have uh, all kinds of people, and 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 yes, you can have the land inhabited with people, but from God's perspective, from the Bible's point of view, if a land, the church, or the world, if Babylon does not have the Spirit of God within it, then it is desolate, and it is a land not inhabited is a dry land a wilderness and all 
All those synonymous terms are basically saying the same thing. So, in Jeremiah 50, verse 13, Because of the wrath of Jehovah, it shall not be inhabited, but it shall be wholly desolate, i.e., no spirit of God. You know, we we are seeing this teaching in numerous verses, in numerous chapters of the Bible, in numerous books of the Bible. This teaching is not something off in a corner, the teaching that God would judge the world and and remove salvation from it. This teaching is plenteous. It, it is found in many biblical passages. And it, it really uh, is becoming more and more, if people are not hearkening to God, when God has said that he has brought about judgment day and that the action of God in in uh, bringing judgment to pass is the end of his salvation plan, well, then uh, if they don't agree with it and if they don't like it and if they want to argue with it, they have a, a lot of scripture to deal with, a lot of scripture to argue with and and really it can um only indicate that an individual uh, that there's something wrong they are fighting against god they are fighting against the word of god and uh, as god's word is coming together and harmonizing and many scriptures are opening up pointing to this same thing how could it be if it were not true? How could these verses concerning Babylon, as we follow God's methodology of comparing Scripture with Scripture, and we look up a word like desolate and not inhabited, and we find it leads right to the absence of God's Spirit, to the removal of God's Spirit? How is that possible? How have we done that, in other words, if if we're manipulating the Bible, if we're perverting the gospel, if we're the ones, e-Bible fellowship is the one that that is uh, coming up with this idea of no more salvation. How is it possible uh, that we just simply look up these words like a land not inhabited and wholly desolate, and it leads us right to that fact that God is saying that his spirit is gone. Now, did we do that or did God do that? Well, God did, of course. He's the one that directs us to follow words and and see how he uses them in other places in order to uh, come to understandings and truth. And, and, And that's what I mean. That's what I mean. We're we're not adding to the Bible. We're not taking away from the Bible. We're following the Bible. And and that is what the Bible is teaching. Well, it goes on to say here in the rest of verse 13, uh, it shall be wholly desolate. Everyone that goeth by Babylon shall be astonished and hiss at all her plagues. Now, plagues is a word that that is used many times in the Bible. And it's used, we're most familiar with the plagues that came upon Egypt when God destroyed the mighty Egyptian empire with the plagues that he sent against them. And he brought Pharaoh and the greatest army of that day to its knees. And finally, he slew Pharaoh in the Red Sea, and uh, much of the might of the Egyptian army, their their chariots and 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 chariot men, and they drowned in the Red Sea, and and so uh, yes, plagues are are very awful, and and God speaks of them often in the Bible. They were literal plagues that came against Egypt, but. God also speaks of plagues that the two witnesses would um, be able to 
pronounce. Uh, we read of this in Revelation chapter 11. It says in verses 5 and 6, If any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. The two witnesses are a figure. They're not two people. They they don't actually represent um, people at all, uh, even though the two witnesses are a figure that does identify with Moses and Elijah, who were people. But Moses and Elijah are used of God as types and figures of the word. Moses relates to the law. Elijah to the prophets. The law and the prophets would be a way of saying the Old Testament scripture or the scripture. And, and, and that would be the Bible. So the two witnesses were uh, active throughout the church age in the congregations. That is, God was using his word, the Bible, that the churches were caretakers of, that they they had in their midst. And God was blessing that word to save and and to accomplish his purposes and also to use that word to smite those with um as it says there he the two witnesses could um through their their witness um they had power to shut heaven that it rained not in the days of their prophecy and power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth and yet none of that's literal none of that is actual god god didn't empower the two witnesses to literally stop water from heaven or literally turn water to blood, or literally smite the earth, as he did in in the time of the Exodus in Egypt. No, it's all spiritual, as the Word of God, the Bible, would would dictate and declare the true gospel. It could uh, also condemn false gospels, and it could. Um, decree, well, that gospel, that church, that denomination is no longer true, therefore turning their water to blood. And, and it, it was a spiritual plague that the word of God could bring upon congregations or, or, or whatever. And that also is in view. The idea of a spiritual plague, uh, coming forth from the word of God, is in view in Revelation 22, in verse 18. And, and this warning many of us are familiar with, so let me, let me read it. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And, and notice how God says the plagues are written in this book. And, you know, we, we've actually been witness to, um, an incredible demonstration of God setting loose a plague that had been written in the book, the Bible. We were, you say, when did that happen? Well, when God opened up the scriptures during the Great Tribulation, and after some time, he also revealed the end of the church age. And what happened when the the information concerning the end of the church age was brought to light or to our understanding, when we began to realize that God had ended the church age, and he even commanded his people to depart out and flee. Well, immediately, immediately, the waters of all churches in all the world were turned to blood. That is, the judgment of God was revealed upon them 
judgment began at the house of God, and now we realized it impacted every single congregation in the world. The water of the gospel that had been going forth within the churches and congregations ceased. It, it ended. God smote the churches and congregations with plague after plague. And these plagues were entirely spiritual. And uh, it, it was through the revealing of the word that the plagues came upon the churches and congregations. And likewise, now that we are in the day of judgment for the world, now that the transition has been made from the judgment which began on the church to now widen and expand to include all the nations, all the inhabitants of the earth, well, now the Bible likewise has brought forth information to plague the unsaved people of the world. How do we know the door is shut from the Bible? How do we know the sun is darkened and, and now there exists a spiritual darkness that, that we could say may be felt? It is so severe and so intense. We know this from the Bible. How do we know that the latter rain has stopped to fall? We know it from the Bible. And, and, uh, we, we can go on and on. God uses figures of candlesticks that are put out and the light will shine no more at all. He uses figures of musical instruments that no longer will play. The sound of the harp and so forth will no longer be heard anymore at all in her. We know these things from the Bible. The Bible, where the plagues, according to Revelation 22:18, are written herein or therein, that has unleashed these plagues and let them go upon Babylon. And, and Babylon is being destroyed by the spiritual plagues that God has reserved for her in the day of judgment, in the time we are in. And and so everyone, according to Jeremiah 50, 13, that goeth by Babylon shall be astonished and hiss at all her plagues. Now, what does this mean to be astonished and hiss? I'm, I'm not too sure, except it, it has to do, of course, with being like the word astonished uh, means amazed. It, it, it's something uh, that that uh, transfixes you almost. We read in First Kings chapter nine, in First Kings nine, similar language, where God was speaking of uh, the house of God in First Kings nine, beginning in verse seven. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. Now, I should have read verse 6, because verse 7 just says God will cut off Israel. Verse 6 tells us why. Let, let me back up to First Kings 9, verse 6. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children... And will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them in this house, which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. And at this house, which is high, Everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss. And they shall say, Why has Jehovah done thus unto this land and to this house? And they shall answer, Because they forsook Jehovah their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore has Jehovah brought upon them all this evil. 
Now this, of course, is um, speaking of the house of God and would relate to the judgment on the church. But uh, we learned a while ago that God's judgment on the church, when he gave the churches the cup of his wrath, that he then takes the cup and gives the same cup to the nations of the world. So there is uh, a similarity, or there are similarities between the spiritual judgment God brought on the churches for 23 years and the spiritual judgment he is now bringing on the world for a likely period of 1600 days. And and when God did judge the congregations, everyone, it says in 1 Kings 9.8, that passeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss. And then notice, they shall say, why has Jehovah done this unto this land, unto this house? It It is an uh, amazement. Um, it, it, it's a form of shock that such a thing could happen. And likewise, um, it's the case with the the judgment of God on the world. Well, yes, we expected God to destroy the world physically, to just come and end the world and and wipe out unsaved mankind. But it is astonishing, and it is amazing and shocking, and no one at all was prepared for it. For God to bring judgment and to do so in a spiritual way so that uh, there, there would be no difference outwardly in, in, uh, the physical realm. People wouldn't see any difference from one day to the next. From May 20th, 2011 to May 21, 2011, there was no outward visible difference. It is a judgment that cannot be perceived with the physical senses, with the physical eyes, but must be discerned by the eyes of faith or the eyes of understanding through the reading of the Bible. And and this has been astonishing, and especially the fact that God would end his salvation program for all mankind. Some people just cannot accept that. They they it is so astonishing to them they cannot um, uh, get a hold of it, and and they refuse to accept it. God would never do that. Oh no, God would never leave the world or believers in the world without ongoing salvation. Well, first, take a look at what God did to those called by his name. And and God had uh, a special relationship, of course, with the church. They were caretakers of his word. They They had much blessing through that relationship with him. And yet, he judged them and ended salvation for them in the churches. And and so if you think God won't do it to those outside of the churches, to the people of the world who he has no such special relationship with, well, you're completely misunderstanding God and, and um, what he has said in his word. If he has done it to his own people, he tells us in Jeremiah 25, will the rest go unpunished? He answers his own question in that chapter. They will not go unpunished, but they also will drink of the cup of his wrath. And, and so we, we have this astonishment that, that God would do such a thing first to the church and now to the world. Now, just one other place in Jeremiah 49, we read um, concerning Edom in verse 17. Also, Edom shall be a desolation. Everyone that goeth by it shall be astonished and shall hiss at all the plagues thereof, as in the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the neighbor cities thereof, saith Jehovah, no man shall abide there, 
neither shall a son of man dwell in it. And here God is speaking of Edom, and Edom can be used to typify the churches. Esau is used on occasion because uh, of the close relationship with Jacob, with Israel. They were twin brothers, and 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 so God does use Edom on occasion to typify the church, but Edom can also typify the unregenerate, the the unsaved people. As Jacob, God says he loved, but Esau I hated, and Edom and Esau are one and the same. And and so here we find again that that God speaks of being those that are going by astonished and hiss at all the plagues. And notice how he relates it to the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, we find that statement. No man shall abide there, neither shall a son of man dwell in it. And that, in a way, relates the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah to the destruction of Babylon and and Edom here. And also, it relates the idea of the removal of the Son of Man, of the removal of God's Spirit. It ties in, in other words, the spiritual judgment with Sodom and Gomorrah. That Sodom and Gomorrah likewise is typifying and picturing the the spiritual judgment that God has brought upon the world since May 21, 2011. Well... Let's go back to our verse in Jeremiah 50, and we'll go on to verse 14. Put yourselves in array against Babylon round about, all ye that bend the bow, shoot at her. Spare no arrows, for she has sinned against Jehovah. Now, some people wonder, well, what am I to do? How am I to serve God in this time of judgment? Well, here, God is giving us some direction. He is referring, he is speaking to his people. Put yourselves in array against Babylon roundabout. God is commanding us to get into battle formation against Babylon, to put yourselves in array, the the Hebrew word translated as array is also translated sometimes as set in order. And it means to set the armies, in this case the armies of God, in proper battle order. And of course uh, generals, when they go into battle, they they would position their armies in the field for uh, for the battle ahead and, and often, um, wise or a smart strategic general through the positioning of his army would help to win the victory, uh, because he, uh, had higher ground or, or an element of surprise or whatever. And, and here God is indicating it is time to go to war, time to battle Babylon, so put yourselves in array. Uh, we, we read in Jeremiah 50 in verses 40 and 42, the same chapter, it says, as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighbor cities thereof, saith Jehovah, so shall no man abide there, neither shall any son of man dwell therein. And there's that same statement again. Behold, a people shall come from the north, and a great nation, and many kings shall be raised up from the coast of the earth. They shall hold the bow and the lance. They are cruel and will not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea, and they shall ride upon horses. Everyone put in array like a man to the battle against thee, O daughter of Babylon. Now you might be surprised at being described that way. And again, we don't typically, and we certainly don't like to think of ourselves as being cruel 
and not showing mercy, but keep in mind, God is coming in the day of wrath, the day of judgment. This is punishment. This is the pouring out of his fury upon Babylon. Babylon has had no mercy. We read in some places, when she came against the people of God, she showed no mercy. What awful, terrible, cruel hatred the, um, the kingdom of Satan and his forces showed against the professed Christians of the world. No mercy in perverting and turning the true gospel, the, the pure water of the Bible, into other gospels and polluted waters. No mercy in adding to God's word and subtracting from God's word. No mercy in all the many lies and falsehoods that they have developed and sent forth. And no mercy to about two billion professed Christians. They have been cruel with horrible hatred in in their going forth against the people of God. And it's only because God held his true elect people fast that they have not likewise destroyed us. And so God says, Now is judgment day, as do unto them as they have done unto you. As the cup that they have given you, give to them. And not only that, God says, give double. And he speaks of his army as cruel and will not show mercy. And of course, when we go forth, and and it is um, it, it is the truth. So we cannot say anything other than that God has ended His salvation program. He is no longer saving sinners. He He is not saving anyone, not the elderly, not the young, not anyone in between, and and certainly. Uh, th- this uh, can sound cruel, and certainly uh, it is uh, a declaration without mercy. God says in James that he will have judgment without mercy. And so he has come in the day of judgment, and all the saints with him, and we uh, were, were with him, and as he opens the scriptures, we share what, what he has brought forth, but we we take no delight in it we we do not relish it at all we must uh, and can only share the things that god has given us to say so we see that uh, the army of god is put in battle array we also find the same language in joel in joel chapter 2 and um verse 3 well, verse 2 speaks of a great people and a strong, a fire devoureth before them. In verse 3, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap. Like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained, all faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march everyone on his ways, and they shall not break their ranks, neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk everyone in his path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And Jehovah shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great 
for he is strong that executeth his word. You see, it is Jehovah's army. It is the army of God. And, and notice the relationship, the connection as that army goes forth and then, uh, God relates it to the heavens, um, the earth quaking and the heavens trembling and the sun and the moon, uh, dark and the stars falling, which identifies with the period immediately after the tribulation, which identifies with judgment day again on May 21, 2011 and and all these days after that tribulation, which are the days of judgment. Well, we we can see how God is typifying his army, and in, it, it's a great army. It, it's identified as 200 million in Revelation chapter 9, and it's an army that cannot lose. It is an army that even if they are injured with the sword. It will not even hurt them. It will not wound them. So God says here, back in Jeremiah 50, verse 14, Put yourselves in array against Babylon round about. All ye that bend the bow, shoot at her. Spare no arrows. In in other words, God is instructing us. Take your bow, Put an arrow in it and aim at Babylon and shoot. And and also he says, spare no arrows. So don't do it once or twice or three times. Empty your quiver. Keep taking out an arrow, putting it in your bow, aiming and shooting. And once you've done it, do it again and do it again. And uh, remember, um, it was with Elisha that the king of Israel came to him. And Elisha was sick and about ready to die. And uh, there was an interesting encounter between the king of Israel and Elisha right before he did die concerning bow and arrows. In Second Kings 13... It says in verse 14, Now Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands, and he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The arrow of Jehovah's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek, till thou have consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hadst consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. See here, it, it, it was an illustration that Elisha, uh, wanted, or God through Elisha, wanted the king of Israel to shoot an arrow to signify deliverance from Syria, and then to take the bow and arrows and smite the ground. And the more he would have smitten the ground, the better. But he stayed after three times. And so there was some victory over the enemy that, that could have been greater. Well, God here is, is indicating spare no arrows. Don't shoot one arrow or three arrows but unlimited arrows. And what are bows and arrows? Well, the bows and arrows we we find in the Bible as it relates or as God speaks of the wicked, they have to do with their words. Uh, we, we read in Psalm 11 in um, verse 2, For lo, the wicked bend their bow, They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. 
Now, not here, but in Psalm 64, we we discover how they do this, or or the way they shoot at the upright. It says in Psalm 64, verse 2, Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword, and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words, that they may shoot in secret at the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. See, there the armor and the weapons have to do with their mouth. Uh, They bend their bows and shoot their arrows, even bitter words. And so God is speaking to the believers. And of course, we we do not speak words, or we ought not, that are not true and faithful. No, God would have us to speak that which is true, that which is faithful, that which is honest, and that the Bible truly declares. And yet, and yet, as we do so at this time, we will be sending forth a message from God, from the Bible, that is a message containing plagues, a message that turns water to blood and sun to darkness, a message that shuts doors and puts out the light of the candle. And and so as we uh, declare these things and share these things with others, it is as though we have taken our bow and put our arrow and we have shot at Babylon. Babylon is fallen. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down. And, and it is a declaration that God's wrath and fury and anger is upon this world. And uh, the things that we share, we cannot help. They, they are, um, as arrows flying and each one will hit its target and God's people will march in unbroken ranks and God's people will not be injured themselves or killed in this battle. God's people will uh, just simply share the truth that we have learned from the Bible. That's all it's really pointing to or telling us to do. We, We don't do so out of malice. We don't want to hurt anyone, but this is what God would have us to do, and it is what he intends to use uh, against the target, against the object of his wrath, which is Babylon. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.